welcome to the Locking Castle Church podcast. This Sunday morning teaching was given as part of the Identity and Purpose series. Hello everyone. After a very long and dedicated membership of this church, of many minutes, uh, I have been invited to preach So, be aware what happens when you join this church, is all I'm saying. I'm coming to you today with not one but two parables, so I'm going to try and keep it relatively tight. If I start to wander off, I'm going to try and bring it back to my notes. I love the parables, and we've been looking at them as a series. If you haven't caught up, catch up. They're online, they're on Facebook, we have a podcast, so you can get them in any sort of media you want, plug the podcast. And one of the things I love about the parables is I think that you can see a huge breadth of human ability but also human frailty and as we've looked at them through the themes of identity and purpose I think it's very easy to see one meaning per parable and I personally like to look for the edges of parables and look for the areas of storytelling that maybe we've missed that maybe show us mistakes or misunderstandings or missed contacts so that's what I'm going to try and do through these two parables. I don't think we get things right all the time. I may be wrong in this, it may just be me. I'm getting a lot of confused faces going, Emily, I'm always correct. Well, that's great. See, Andy, you can preach in the next sermon series because we need more people like that at the front. And I think that one of the mistakes we often make is driven from fear. And I think we see this in the first parable that was read to us so well today. And I'm not talking about the sheep that got lost. The sheep that got lost and is found is a really powerful story of rescue. But I think often what we do as humans is we actually find ourselves, even if it's unconsciously, with the other 99. We're there going, but where is God in this? Has he gone? Is he looking after someone else? Has he got a better plan for someone else? What's he doing over there? Why is he moving in that person's life? And he hasn't moved in my life. He hasn't actually done something in this situation. I'm waiting and I'm trying to be patient. I'm surrounded by 99 other people going, what's going on? I'm not entirely sure what's happening. And I think that's a really common thing we slip into unconsciously. I don't think many of us go around going, well, God, you didn't turn up when I asked. It's a bit awkward for you, isn't it? You say in your word that you'll be there. You've got good plans for me. Well, you missed this one. I don't think we do that. I mean, sometimes we do. But I don't think it's a common everyday occurrence. But I think actually we're very good at slipping into misunderstandings of who God is. We have a whole Bible that tells us who God is. But actually when we go back to Genesis, I don't worry, I'm not doing a full spread of the whole Bible. Because he'd panic in people's eyes going, Emily, it's quarter to 12. We're not ready to do a book by book. It's fine. But in Genesis we see that God says to Adam and Eve, don't eat of the fruit. Just don't eat it. It's real simple, one rule. And when the enemy comes in, He says, what what did God say? He goes, I've got this. I listened real hard. God says, I can't eat it and I can't even touch it. But that's not what God said. It's a really, really easy thing to go, well, you know, God said he loves me, but not enough to get me that promotion. Clearly. God says he's got good plans for me. Not the plans I had, and actually, Lord, they were pretty good, and I spent a lot of time worrying about them and stressing about it, and actually, if you could just do the job I want, and give me the life I want, and the house I want, and the income I want, the children I want, 
and the holidays I want, that would be great. Again, getting a lot of blank faces. This might just, this might just be a confessional, not a preach, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to raise hands, but look at me with a blank and slightly dazed look if you've also had that ex Oh, great, all of us. Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. And it can be so isolating. We hear people give these incredible testimonies of, oh, you know, I hear this a lot in my life group. I prayed for a parking space and I got one. Well, not me. Where's my parking space, Lord? We hear people go, oh, you know, I was really praying about this and the Lord moved in an incredible way. Great. I spent three days this week in bed with a head cold. God didn't move for me. It's so easy for us to slip into that. And it happens before sin enters the garden. That is how intrinsic it is to our human nature. I personally think that is partly because God created us in his image and he is a very creative God. But that doesn't mean we can wander away and start to make God in our own image and say, actually, my identity is this and therefore God is that. I'm afraid of this and therefore God isn't there. I think the parable, the first one, is only half the story. And that's why we're looking at many parables, because no one parable can completely encapsulate what this story of identity and purpose in God's kingdom actually is. It's the rescue, and that is so important. That moment when we meet God for the first time, doesn't matter how old you are, how it happened, what kind of church you could be at in nature, whatever, that meeting, that rescue, that sense of, oh my goodness, I've literally been picked up and put on the shoulders of the creator of the world not downplaying that but that's not it that's temporary that's a moment and it's vital and then the story continues that's when the relationship steps in and that's not one moment it's a series of moments and some of those moments are real dull don't want to put a damper on anyone who's come to Christ recently please stay lock the doors it, it, some of those moments are just moments of like, oh, yeah, I read that Bible verse and it's good, I guess. Oh, I went to church and Emily preached probably on a thing. I'm sure it was fine. And that's what relationship is. It's the day in and it's the day out. It's spending the good times and the bad times and the really boring times. Getting to know a God that rescued but wants something deeper. You see, those 99 sheep, it says they're left out in the open... That doesn't mean they weren't cared for. Shepherds at this time would create a fold, literally folding bushes together to weave around to keep sheep safe. Almost like if you put a bunch of people in a room and expect them to care for each other. Something in that, I don't know what it is. We'll, come, we'll circle back to that. I think that this reflects God's heart right from the beginning. Because it's really easy to look at the Old Testament and go, oh, bad, angry God, lots of rules. Ooh, New Testament, nice God, fluffy, hugs, love. Also just me, good, excellent. Um, but actually, the God is very much the same. This is Ezekiel. I really love the introduction to these two parables in Luke. It says that he, Jesus is almost accused of, and I quote, welcoming sinners and eating with them. And I'm really glad, I didn't like plan this, this wasn't something we talked about, but I'm really glad we had communion before this. 
Because God seeks connection through food all the way through the Bible. That is a different preach. We'll come back to it maybe if I'm allowed to preach again in the summer. But (laughs) the trouble is, is at the time and now, it's really easy for us to go, well, yeah, like, I'll go to church with them, but I wouldn't have them around for dinner. That's very personal. That's a very intimate space. And thank the Lord, God isn't going, oh, yeah, it's just like my table's full. It's so awkward. Like, I thought I gave out the invite and like so many people came and it's almost like I don't have room for you. Sorry. There's a real social stigma in Jesus' time with being a sinner. And I think we'd be kidding ourselves if we said there isn't a real social stigma about being a sinner now. And we're really, really good at going, there they are. That's the sinner. Not me. Me. I'm going to go on what sounds like a tangent here. Stay with me. (laughs) The second parable... We're not meant to have favorite parables, and of all the favorite parables I don't have, this is it. I never got this parable. I found this parable really hard. Ten coins, one is lost. You look for it. You find it. And I was a bit like, oh, good. That's going to really help me in my preach. So I did a little bit of digging, and what I didn't realize is that this coin is not a coin. Stay with me. I promise I'm taking you on a path. In Jewish culture at this time, and arguably, I don't know, in some places in the world now, uh, a Jewish bride would have a very beautiful silk-embroidered headdress. Real gorgeous. Just imagine, like, loads of gold thread, like, beads, it's really beautiful, kind of veil style, so it kind of trails at the back, at the sides, and along the front, ten coins. These are a symbol of her value. Not because she's being bought, but because she should be treasured. That she's been treasured by her family, and she's now about to be treasured by a different family. And that coin headdress is something that she would keep her whole life. Even if a family was starving, the idea of using one of those coins to buy food would be repellent. It just wouldn't make sense. And unfortunately, at this time, there was an assumption that if one of those coins was gone, she had been unfaithful that she had given it to someone else. Keeping this as suitable for work as I possibly can. Right, we're all on the same page, excellent. A huge amount is at stake at this point because her place in the family is dependent on her name, her reputation and her honor. Divorce at this time was incredibly easy. A man would say, I divorce you, and that was it. I'm not having to be a legal expert on that one, that is literally it. And with that, a woman could lose her home, her family, access to her children, ability to be warm and dry in the winter, ability to live. And so now when I read this parable as a woman lighting a lamp, you know, using precious household resources and doing what I hate to do and cleaning, this isn't, oh, I really wanted a Mars bar. This is my very place in this family is on the line. And again, I think that's another really easy, unconscious thing we could fall into. I could lose God's love. I could lose God's heart for me. I could lose my place, my place in this family, my identity, my purpose, my position in the kingdom of God, my reputation at church. If anyone finds out. 
And so when we see the celebration, and note, in both parables, it's not just a, oh, thanks, Lord. It's a get the neighbors in, get the family in, let's have a party, let's do this communally. It's almost as if we should be doing things communally. Again, don't want to read too much into it. There's a desperation there and a fear of loss of redemption. Every lost soul is worth fighting for, rescue. But every lost soul is worth building a connection with and finding deeper and deeper meaning with God, relationship. And even if you think, you know what, I felt like I was really in with God, he and I were super tight, and then I did this thing, or I didn't do that thing, and now everything that I worked towards, all that connection is gone, redemption is always there. Communion is always there. Breaking of bread, sacrifice that's already been made is always there. Now, I can't help but note that I was raised C of E, and I have three main points, all beginning with the letter R, um, <laughs> which I will be honest, I did not notice until the end of writing this sermon. Um, but I think it's really, really important. It's really easy to feel alone and feel distant or feel like we've messed up or feel that God is a judge without being loving, or that God is all accepting without being holy. And I think we lose something by missing those aspects. Our identities and purpose are in the kingdom, but God's identity is so much bigger, and it takes a lifetime of relationship to even scratch the surface. So as I close, I really want to encourage you, whether it's on your own, with someone you trust, preferably, or coming up later for prayer, which I assume is going to be, yep, wonderful. We know that perfect love casts out all fear. But once that fear is gone, it's got to be replaced by something. And that is the relationship. That is getting in life groups. That is quiet time. That is coming to church. Today is a day to recognize that you were rescued, but that is not the end of the story that your relationship is deeper and ongoing, and some bits will be boring, sorry. But whatever happens, redemption is already waiting for you. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to find out more about Locking Castle Church, please visit our website at lockingcastlechurch.org.